Hi, this is Charles uh, with the Electrobag Digital Commons Research Cooperative, and this new series called the Electrobag Innovation Series, where I'll just go over some of the background uh, on Electrobag uh, Digital Commons Research Cooperative and just what uh, Electrobag itself means. So, for this uh, episode, episode one, I'm just going to go over kind of just. Uh, Kind of like the background, not really like a manifesto, but it kind of is manifesto-ish. You know, <laughs> since we love manifestos uh, and uh, and the change development movements, uh, especially in blockchain, people love <laughs> their manifestos. So you could kind of say this kind of, <laughs> kind of like one, but uh, not anywhere as uh, uh, well as crazy. Well, it's a little crazy, but it's not as a. Uh, I just want people to think of it that way. But uh, right, so actually, to get down, so I'm just gonna talk about you know, a little bit of you know the name, where Sledgeback come from, uh, a little bit about our mascot, Scott Stork, uh, kind of how you would describe uh, the digital construct cooperative, uh, and then uh, kind of a little bit of explanation of the farm mission and uh, vision. So, uh, without further ado, I will just go on to talk about our uh, our name. So, Ledgerback. Like, so what is what does the name mean? So, uh, Ledgerback is a combination of Ledger and uh, and back. Uh, so, uh, the name itself is derived from the slang term for U.S. dollars, which is greenback. Uh, hopefully, you've heard greenbacks before. Uh, so greenbacks uh, originally uh, started propping up around uh, mid to late 1800s, right after the U.S. Civil War, because the U.S. government needs to raise some money, and so they didn't necessarily have uh, enough gold, so they started moving to paper money. And so the early, uh, you know, uh, early paper money they put out uh, had, uh, you know, was green, so the back of the of the paper money was green, so people call it greenbacks. And so there was a big concern back then about moving to this paper money. It's like, well, you know, will a bank respect it? Is this even valid? How can I trust it? You know, kind of switch from just like, oh, here's, you know, here's some gold. And it's like, oh, no, I said, here's some paper. And just like, wait, what? I gotta take this paper now? You know, how does this whole thing work? And so, you know, to me, I felt that, you know, that we're kind of in a similar uh, period where we're. Yeah, you know, at least for them, you know, you're transitioning from gold to paper, and I feel as if we're a similar transitioning period where we're moving from paper to just digital, and not just uh, in the finance sense, but from just all systems, you know, moving to more uh, digital uh, systems or systems that also rely on some uh, some digital system. So kind of like how we have like the Internet of Things, where devices become more connected to the Internet, or just the greater use of cyber physical systems and uh, and socio-technical systems, and how that has effects on our you know actual society and our physical world. Uh, of course, cyber physical systems, a good example would be the Internet, and we all know how much of an effect that has on our society, uh, economy, and. Uh, uh, environments, uh, you know, just overall, just our lives itself has been shaped by that one cyber physical system. 
And so I feel so, uh, you know, at least when it comes to the name, you know, that we live in that similar transitory period where we're transitioning from one thing to another, well, uh, from one system to another. And so ledger back really comes from the fact that I feel so we're transitioning to more, well, ledger backed systems or ledger based. And so, uh, for example, that'd be like a blockchain or a lot of distributed ledgers, but even beyond that, just the fact that we're moving to you know, more decentralized systems and hopefully uh, where we can change the relational dynamics between people uh, and uh, and their institutions and organizations so that's really what it feels of it's coming with this transitory period and you know you can also see this with how industry is evolving with you know moving from industry 3.0 to industry 4.0 so a lot of things are going on in this transitory period as you know, a lot of things are developing and really this transitory period uh, really started uh, you could say with the Great Recession 2009 when you know shit just hit the fan you know excuse my French and yeah you know the really the huge growth of, of counter movement so yeah Occupy Wall Streets and you know blockchain you know if you look at the Genesis block for the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, you know, you would know that, you know, Satoshi made a reference to uh, bailouts for uh, for the banks uh, in England. So, you know, these are two, you know, well, Occupy Wall Street and blockchain are two counter movements. And, you know, Occupy Wall Street really just tied a little bit more with the civic, political, and well, blockchain. Of course, technically also political and considering the messaging, but hitting a little bit more with the infrastructure, technical end. But either way, you know, it's a big uh, attempt at countering what people perceive as wrongs within society and try and hit it at multiple uh, multiple levels. So economic, you know, political, cultural, social, infrastructure, uh, economic. And so really trying to transform these, uh, you know, current system paradigms that we live in into something that's... You know, more decentralized, more democratized, you know, one that has better relational dynamics, better social contracts. And that's really where I feel that we're currently and that's the time period we're in right now is very is transitory. We're moving from one to another and that's where the name really uh really comes from. And uh, as I said, you know, Occupy Wall Street blockchain, but then also you have the Plutocrator movements, which also would count as another transitory uh well, sorry, it's another counter movement in this transitory period. You know, to move the, you know, from political capitalism move to political optimism. So, you know, a lot of transitory, uh, well, a lot of stuff going on during this transitory period. And at least when you, you know, you also do have a couple of parallels to, to prior uh, transitory periods when it comes to these changing relational dynamics and, uh, you know, moving to more decentralization so it's been a really big period to take a look at which you, know, you probably already heard of it but it's the gilded age here in the in the united states the you know, late 1800s early 1900s we had you know major industrialists who just ran the economy and man they were rich super rich you know it's which as rich gets but then you did have a lot of social issues and a lot of, you know, uh, issues between, uh, well, labor and capital. In between these industrialists and, and the people who worked for them, 
and trying to get deals done and trying to you know people trying to unionize and trying to deal with a lot of issues that regular people just could not uh, deal with themselves and generally uh, trying to break up this concentration of of wealth which was kind of putting a stranglehold on the economy and so you know that late 1800s early 1900s that's really when you start having new federal agencies come in for example like the Food and Drug Agency trying to regulate a lot of things for the really betterment of the people but then also you have like the antitrust act you know Sherman Antitrust Act coming uh, out of that time to break up the trust that these industrials had so that they wanted to have such a stranglehold on the on the national economy so we're kind of going you know it feels like a very similar period where things are getting very concentrated you know people will have less of a say you know uh, very you know very few people have a say in how the economy runs and uh and i've just realized if that we're kind of going through a similar thing but instead of dealing with you know the industrial period that they're having we're dealing with industry 3.0 to 4.0 and that's you know during this time you know we have the internet and that's really the big difference is that we can connect and that's you know all across the world we can you know put our heads together and really have a global uh, uh, counter to uh, the perceived wrongs that people have been uh, have been feeling for really the past uh, well you know since really you know 2009 but of course it's been going a lot longer than that this is just the current manifestation really and so uh, you know other than transitory period now I didn't really want to talk about was really, uh, you know, what our, uh, what our vision is, because that also relates back to this transitory period. So that's, you know, in this transitory period, we do believe that it is possible for us to carve out a niche or to really help, you know, create uh, the base for uh, a societal transition to what we call a global technological commonwealth. And, uh, this is really where uh, Dr. Sarmansky is super amazing because her work on this, you know, kind of just encapsulates all of, you know, my thoughts and I think a good amount of other uh, members' thoughts on what our vision is, and she's amazing. So, at least my definition of a global technical commonwealth really comes from her uh, her paper. Uh, I mean, I'm blanking on the name, but you can find it, or you can just send, uh, send a message to lightbaggedgmail.com and I'll send you the paper. But her definition of a global technological commonwealth is a post-capitalist society where communities of mutual interest cooperate in the construction of institutions of regenerative economic relations. Where you do have, you know, uh, with four primary uh, technology design principles, which incorporate planetary boundaries, model on natural biological ecosystems, uh, redefine value, and enable radical coordination uh, sorry, enable radically democratic coordination and governance and grow a cooperative commons. So you put that all together, that's pretty much our vision. <laughs> and we believe that it is actually very doable right now because you know, we have a lot of these new emerging technologies coming along, a lot of you know, people trying to change relational dynamics uh, in many different areas. You know, cooperatives are really starting to rise. Uh, you know, a lot of future work uh, styles are starting to become more popular. Their work is becoming more popular. But yeah, there's just a you know 
know, it's just a really uh, that we're living in a time of change, and that's a lot of people are trying to work on making, you know, the features of a global technology commonwealth a reality. So we believe that it actually is possible to make it, and hopefully, you know, we can create a societal level and actually make it achievable. And so that's, you know, really where the name comes from, you know, time period we think we live in, and then also kind of the vision of what's kind of driving us, where, you know, where we're trying to take, <laughs> steer towards. Uh, and so then moving on to our logo uh, and mascot, Scout Stork, the one and only, the most beautiful stork in the world, uh, the most magnificent stork in the world, the smartest stork in the world, that, oh, here's another compliment, stork in the world. <laughs> uh, so Scout Stork, you know, that's our mascot. Uh, but most importantly, if you don't really know anything about storks, you know, historically storks have had a lot of symbolism attached to them. You know, kind of like the current Western uh, uh, view of a stork is, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, delivers babies. You know, so I'm not really sure where they're getting these babies from, so you know, they, they might just be kidnapping, but that's <laughs> kind of where, uh, uh, you know, culturally, where you know people see storks as a symbol of like fertility, but you know, you know, throughout history, storks have you know been uh, has always many different symbols. You know, even one time as a god, <laughs> well, as a god, sorry. Uh, but yeah, but for now, we want to take the stork and redefine what a stork means. You know, once again for ourselves, uh, and really as a you know deliverer and disseminator of knowledge needed to uh to get towards a global technological commonwealth and really one of the cool things about storks and anything else that we really want for our own distributed communities uh is really their ability to uh express uh form intelligence uh, which is really the fact that they can have a decentralized well sorry it's a, well, a show of collective behavior of uh pretty much like kind of like a decentralized system where pretty much you know all the agents uh in this system are decentralized but they know how to work and coordinate together so you pretty much everyone works together without really a leader they just kind of know what to do in their own local situations and of course this emerges as a global pattern and so that's one of the cool things about storks and really a couple other bird species have you ever seen like a uh like a murmuring of uh our starlings of uh of of birds and you just see them like a flock just flying together you, know, you might see like you know a couple hundreds of, uh, of birds just flying together and you're just like how are they coordinating everything and it's really just you know swarm intelligence you know there's no leader they just figure things out together in real time and that's something that you know we also you know, hope to be able to achieve in the future is you know that kind of coordination uh and uh, wasn't probably in the centralized manner, so everyone you know, makes the decisions for themselves. But yeah, collectively we come together and still have a great outcome. So you know, so it's kind of like having individual autonomy, but then having collective uh, goals which are met. So that's another reason why uh, you know, our uh, mascot as Scout Stork, you know, especially as a stork, for, for that reason. And going uh, on to the mission, this I talked about vision a little bit earlier, but you know our mission is twofold. You know, one foster collaboration between stakeholders, and then two, uh, 
a unified study of the internet and society, which is also known as the network society. So uh, on the first goal, foster collaboration between stakeholders, I feel as if uh, a lot of these uh, uh, counter uh, movements and counter organizations, uh, you know, we're all, you know, at least are all kind of working towards a global technology of commonwealth. You know, to me, all roads end at the global technology of commonwealth. And so, there's really no reason why we're not all just working together and putting our heads together to develop the, the models and solutions to get us there. You know, all in our own various ways, because of course we just have multiple solutions, multiple ways of doing things. But, uh, you know, I think there should just be a little bit more coordination. And so, if we can really just bring in stakeholders who, you know, who might have some views, but might work on different things, but also stakeholders who traditionally have been separated. So for us, the big thing, especially when it comes to the internet and society is bringing in, uh, also connecting, you know, academia with industry and citizens, you know, bringing all three together. Because academia and industry, you know, usually there is some connection, but it's not necessarily between academia and citizens or even industry and citizens. So you can bring all three together. I think that can really, uh, for a much better understanding of societal issues and also how technology uh, can contribute to issues but also help mitigate or resolve issues uh, and so you know really want to you know connect people uh, you know in multiple movements and multiple projects all together I think it's very very doable because I think most of us do have very similar values and I'd say even similar mindsets, but we're just going about it different ways. And I think uh, that's great that we have it and that we should just uh, really have more uh, collaboration among all of us. And just the recognition of other, you know, uh, other people, other things they're working on and ways that, hey, that might, you know, be you know, in a completely different field than mine, but it's such a good, you know, solutions, different way of thinking about saying, oh, I can play this in my own world too. And that's usually how we do make advancements in pretty much every other <laughs> area. It's like, oh, let me just take this from here, take that from there, I'll put it here. Oh my God, I can't believe this all works. So, you know, also does help with social innovation. And I'm moving to the second goal, which is, you'll find the study of the internet and society. Uh, as I said a little bit earlier, you know, break down barriers. I feel so, you know, it's a little bit more of a vertical barrier between academia and citizens, and then also with industry and citizens. So if you can you know, bring all three together, that would be great. Into uh, actually, can also include government. So it's kind of like the quadruple helix of all four. Put that all four together. So there's more say of each, especially for citizens, since citizens generally the ones who have to kind of live with the consequences of what comes from academia, industry, or government. Uh, so that's uh, another thing to think about, uh, and then also bringing down barriers between disciplines, so that we can have an anti-disciplinary view of the full study of the internet society and just a societal level. Uh, so uh, one of the main things to work on is really just to combine, well, bring uh, together people from the engineering sciences and the uh, and the social sciences and humanities bring them uh, together into one, into a, and then do a lot of, you know, really interdisciplinary research, so that we can really understand these societal issues from multiple viewpoints, multiple perspectives, and think about 
solutions, which, you know, may be technological in nature or not. Sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily need a technological solution uh, for some societal issues. But, you know, really just bringing down these barriers because all of them, you know, do affect the internet and society, which is the narrow society. So, you know, this one creates this new technology or new socio-technical system and might have a negative effect on on society, but they might not necessarily know that. <laughs> yeah, they might not have considered it before, but, you know, they might, you know, let's just say they're, you know, uh, a developer, they might just, you know, develop an app and might have an effect on society, but they might not have thought about that. But, you know, you might have a sociologist who who was, you know, who might have known that, you know, if they had the chance beforehand, they're like, oh, this might be a problem for, you know, for people who interact with things, or psychologists, and just, you know, having that, you know, that input early on can really help you design uh, products which actually meet the needs of people and hopefully doesn't cause new issues for uh, for those people and as I was saying most of those people are probably citizens who you know wouldn't have a say otherwise so even bringing them in will also help create you know better products but one that actually meets uh, their needs and hopefully doesn't cause extra issues in society you know, as you can see with a lot of our socio-technical systems so you know kind of like our major social networks like Facebook Twitter you know, Instagram, you know, those do have you know, real world effects on people. And, uh, you know, if we could have more, you know, people come together, you know, actual developers. So, you know, not just necessarily, let's just say, you know, uh, you know, it's like Instagram, because, you know, at least a little bit injured with Instagram, because we can just talk about, you know, the fakeness that you see on there. Uh, but then if you did have some of the users, you know, be able to provide their actual feedback on how Instagram affects them, and then that goes into how you develop Instagram, you might not necessarily have as many issues that, you know, well, at least the mental health issues that people suffer from uh, on Instagram um, because of that. And then, you know, the other thing to think about too, as well as that, you know, it's like, what's, you know, what's the purpose of these networks? It's really to, you know, uh, to keep your attention and what keeps your attention, why not necessarily be the healthiest thing, you know, mentally healthy for the actual users. But if you could bring this all together, uh, you know, when you're staying in the internet society, I think you might be able to avoid some of these issues. So that's uh, kind of just the background to kind of a manifesto issue, kind of manifesto issue. I really wanted to say it, but <laughs> that's kind of a, kind of just, a, you know, uh, kind of what we're going for. But hopefully, you know, this all made sense. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, send an email to legibic at gmail.com. So for this issue we just went over, uh, just the legibic name, you know, transitory period, what's our mascot, uh, our mission, uh, you know, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's about it. And uh, I didn't really get to about the street communities but you know we hopefully will be a street community which is all across the world uh as i said you know you know find the state of the internet society that also includes bringing people from all over the world so you know since this affects you know not just here but you know can affect people in societies everywhere so you know thanks for listening to episode one hopefully you enjoyed it uh you know as i said if you have any questions send an email to back at gmail.com and hopefully you come for the next episode La 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 la